0: We are so grateful you've tuned in today to the Mountain View Church sermon podcast. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you believe, our prayer is that the next 30 to 40 minutes adds value to your life and leads you closer to God. If you ever want to join us in person, we would love to have you. For current worship times, location, and other ministry options, check out Mtviewchurch.net. And now, let's dive into this week's teaching. If you wanted to associate yourself with Jesus in the first century, you you likely would not have referred to yourself as a Christian. Uh, That's the term we use now, about 2.5 billion Christians around the world today. That's the term we use, but that's not how it actually began, right? In the first century, the term Christian was a term that outsiders used to describe those who were part of the Jesus movement. And in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, the Bible, you actually find the origin story of that term. So in the book of Acts, this is in chapter 11, uh, verses 25 and 26, it says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when they found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called, what's the word? Christians first at Antioch. So, Acts 11, this is about 10, 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Barnabas, one of these early followers of Jesus, goes and gets Saul, who is later renamed Paul. You might know that conversion story. He goes and gets Paul. He brings them to Antioch, which is in present-day Turkey. Uh, If you're looking on a map, that's kind of where you would find Antioch. And Paul, Saul... And Barnabas teach the people about Jesus for like an entire year. They, they disciple the people of Antioch. And so the people from Antioch, the outsiders looking at what's going on, they come to call these people Christians. And anytime you see that, that I-A-N ending to a word, like that's significant. That means something, right? So like if someone is Hawaiian, they are from where? Hawaii, you're as sharp as 830. Good job. All right. Good job. I was nervous. Okay. Uh, if, if someone uh, is a magician, they practice? Okay. Yes. If, you know, you can think of all kinds of examples with I-A-N on the end. You know, if someone is a, uh, a libertarian, they have certain views uh, politically about liberty and, and freedom or, or whatever, right? I-A-N is an ending. We stick on a word that means belonging to or connected with. And so Christian, christ in simply means belonging to or related to Christ. And it wasn't a word they gave themselves. It was a word that other people looking at them gave them. Right? In Antioch. Now, Antioch was a, a cosmopolitan city, meaning it was full of um, a lot of diversity, Right? Diverse thoughts, beliefs, religions, ethnicities, lots of different groups in Antioch. And so what, you, what they would do, the same thing that you and I do, is you would group people together based on their commonalities, their common beliefs and actions in life and, and whatever. Um, and so the, the Christians, they had some unique characteristics, some things about them that made them stand out, that made people say, hey, all of these people belong to the same group, this group of Christ. So some of those, for example, uh, the historians tell us, and you can even find some, uh, some, you know, rumors of this in scripture, but the Christians practice forgiveness and humility. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Did, do you know that's not normal? It's not normal today, but especially in the first century, right? It was an honor-shame culture and honor-shame cultures, uh, revenge and pride are a big deal. You, it, ran out, it ran on revenge and pride. And then here come the Christians going, actually, we should humble ourselves and we should forgive those people who wrong us. That was weird. Other things that were different, they, Christians were the ones who rescued and adopted babies that other families would leave out in the wilderness because they didn't want. Christians were the ones who were more racially and ethnically diverse than any other religion in the city. It, Christianity is unique in that it, we've talked about this. It, it crosses racial and ethnic lines. And that was, that was unique at, at that time. Um, they were the ones who lived out a, a very countercultural sexual ethic compared to the sexual ethics of its culture, of, of its day. They elevated the position of women and children. Uh, they were the ones who were radically generous with, with one another, right? Like just selling all their stuff to help each other and group it together. They were radically generous to the poor, the people that others would kind of walk by and be like, well, it's your own fault. Like you're on your own. The most prominent Unique trait, though. The one thing that got these Christians the most in trouble was that they claimed that Jesus was Lord. Not Caesar. Caesar wasn't in charge. Not any of the other gods of the city, because every city back then in the Greco-Roman world kind of had their patron god, the god that they kind of said, well, we got to make this god happy so it'll go well in our city. Christians were the ones that actually, there's only one God. And he has most perfectly revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Who, by the way, we believe is still alive, even though you tried to kill him. And so they became known as Christians, ones belonging to this sect related to Jesus Christ. That's where the name came from. Now, some scholars, they're, they're kind of split on this, but uh, they believe that this was actually a derogatory term, like this was an insult. This is why I said you wouldn't maybe willingly call yourself, like, like when someone would say Christians, like, oh, you know, those crazy people who seriously think this guy's still alive and hang on his every word and want to be like him and do everything he says, like, oh, those crazy Christians, right? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a, like, good job, you're a Christian. It was like, well, oh, Christians, right? Roll your eyes kind of, kind of comment. So for instance, you see the example is in Acts 26, a few chapters later, verse 28, Paul, the same guy who was teaching at Antioch, he is now standing before King Agrippa, who is the great, great grandson of Alexander the Great. If you know your history, King Agrippa was a real person, great, great grandson of Alexander the Great. Paul's on trial before him, kind of explaining his actions and his beliefs. And the king says to Paul, do you think that in such a short amount of time, you can persuade me? To be a Christian? Like, I love this. Like, you really think I want that label for myself? Not a chance, Paul. So it wasn't a label that anyone would choose for themselves, including the disciples. But what the disciples decided, if you want to call us that, guess what? We're going to transform it. So listen to this. This is in 1 Peter chapter 4, 14 through 16. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a what? Christian. Christian, Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Like they they're using it to shame you. They're using it to like make fun of you and put you down. But man, you should just own it and praise God that you bear the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only three times in the whole Bible where the word Christian shows up. Isn't that crazy? I and mean, we're, we're like, we're all a bunch of Christians. This is a Christian church. 2.5 billion Christians in the world. Christianity is an organized religion. We take classes on it. Christian, 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 Christian. There's only three times in the entire Bible the word Christian shows up. That was it. We've read all three of them already this morning. Isn't that weird? And that's because Christian was a term that outsiders used to refer to the Jesus movement. It wasn't the term that insiders, people who wanted to follow Jesus, used of themselves. That word was what much more mysterious and coded, but packed of meaning, they simply referred to themselves as the way. The way. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the way, but if you say the way in my house, there's an 80% chance that my oldest son will run upstairs to his costume bin and come running back down fully dressed in Mandalorian garb from head to toe the mask, everything, right? If you were here early enough today for the countdown, you might've heard the theme song playing uh, from the show Mandalorian. Anybody a fan of the show Mandalorian? All right, if if not, like if you're like, "Eh, I don't really like the show, it's okay. Like everyone can belong at Mountain View Church. Even if you have terrible taste, like it's cool. Like it's not a big deal, okay? Um, If you're not, okay, if you're just like, I don't even know what that is. Uh, it, it's a show on Disney+, Plus. It's a, it's a spinoff of the Star Wars franchise, so it takes place about five years after Return of the Jedi, have you heard of that one? <laughs> okay, woo, hey, everybody's like, yeah, I've heard of that once, right, it's about five years after that, and The Mandalorian show, it, it centers around uh, a character named uh, Din Djarin, who... He was, um, his parents were killed when he was younger. He was, he was orphaned and, and at a young age. And so he is taken in, he is adopted by and raised by this group known as the Mandalorians. And the Mandalorians have, like all groups, their own culture, right? Their own way of doing things, their own beliefs and values and codes. And they, they capture their, their way of being with this phrase. They just say it repeatedly throughout the show. They say, this is the way right, can you just repeat that with me? This is the way. And that's, and that's all they say. And so as a viewer, you're like, what, what's the way? What is it? But that is like one simple phrase to explain all of what it means to be a Mandalorian, right? It's It's shorthand for like, if you want to call yourself a Mandalorian, this is the code you have to live by. And so there's various, you know, Actions and beliefs attached to that. But the biggest one, the the example that's given, is that uh, Mandalorians were not supposed to remove their helmet in front of another human being. And so if Din Jarin takes his helmet off, he is breaking the way. He is no longer considered fit to be a Mandalorian. And so while it's not a perfect correlation, and I'll explain why in a minute, I I still think this is really constructive for those of us who want to. Claim to be a Christian who, who wear that label because you know it's easy to claim the label without following the way, right? It's easy to say I am a Christian without following Christ. Today it's easy, it was never easy before. Like, you didn't even want to be called a Christian because that meant you were kind of on the outside of society. But, but today, with what we've done with Christianity, it's, it's way too easy. To be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, without actually following the way of Christ. Now, again, the Mandalorian Christian, like, that correlation isn't, isn't perfect, right? Because um, your standing as a Christian isn't based on your religious performance, like, whether you do everything right. Isn't that a good thing? Like, praise God that my standing with Jesus isn't like, well, you, you know, you, you took off your helmet, you did the one thing wrong, you're out. You're no longer a part of this group, right? Like, I'm glad it doesn't work that way when it comes to my faith in Christ. But Christianity is a way. It, it's, it's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of being in the world a way of thinking. It is a way. And it's all built on and around the person of Jesus. Which is why before they were ever known as Christians, they simply were known as the way. The way. Now, where did that come from, right? This idea of the way. When I I think of the way, to me, it's like, it sounds like a British invasion rock band from the 60s, you know? Like the who or something. Like the way, that would make a sweet t-shirt right? The way, you should sign up for one down there in the lobby after the sermon. It's totally free to you. It's free to you. Just tell us what size you want. But I think this idea came from something Jesus said. I can't prove this to you, but I think this is where it goes back. Okay, John chapter 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, with his earliest followers. He's actually talking about his death that pretty soon he's going to die and he's not going to be there with them anymore. And so they're distraught and they're frustrated and angry and sad and all the emotions that are coming with that. And so Jesus is trying to to calm them, right? He's trying to reassure them that they're going to be okay. And so here is what he says in, in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know, I love it, Jesus, you, you know the way to the place where I am going. Now, Jesus meant this to reassure them. And all it does is confuse them. There's so many times in the Bible where Jesus is like, you, you, you get what I'm saying? And they're all like, mm-mm. And so Thomas, he's the brave one of the group, because everyone's thinking it. You know, they're all sitting there going like, I don't understand that at all. And and Thomas is like, well, someone should say something. And so Thomas speaks up. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Right? Like, if I don't even know the destination, how do I know the direction? That's Thomas. What What do you mean we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. So Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So get this, Thomas is like, how, how do we know where to go? How do we know the way, the way to what? And Jesus is like, you already know it because you already know me. I am the the way. I'm the way to truth. I'm the way to life. And he makes this startling claim, I am the only way to God the Father. Well, that's quite a claim, That doesn't play very well today, um, claiming that you believe Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to heaven. That, that'll get you in some trouble in the, in, in the locker room, right? Or, or in the work room. Um, It didn't play well back then either, right? Again, tons of other different religious ideas and and pluralistic society just like we have today. And, And Jesus steps into that society and says, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the only way to God. Now, a claim like that, that could get a man killed. Which is what Jesus is preparing them to experience, isn't it? But we're getting a little, little ahead of ourselves. We'll, we'll talk more about that maybe in the weeks to come. What, what I want us to understand today, though, is that Christians were identified not by a label, but by their way of life, by the, by the way they did things, by the way they saw the world, by the way they acted. And so we're going to unpack more of where this idea shows up in the Bible over the next few weeks, but there's really three steps to the way, right? If you're here this morning and you're like, well, how, what is the way and, and how do I get on the way and what do I do while I'm on the way? This series is for you. Like, this series is basically like, let's unpack. Because I think sometimes we've made it way more difficult than it needs to be, honestly. When I talk to people and it's like, well, what do you think it means to be a Christian? The stuff that comes back to me, I'm like, what? Like, I guess I'm out. You know, I'm the pastor and I don't even know what you're talking about, right? Like, sometimes we've made it way more difficult than it needs to be. And so I want to simplify that. I really just think there's three things on the way that you need to understand and do. And, And the first of those, the first step of the way is simply to follow. The first step is follow. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up with me to, to Matthew chapter 9. Okay, or if you're using the Bible app, you can get there quickly. Go to events, click on Mountain View Church, and all the texts from today will, will show up. But Matthew chapter 9. Um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is, this is about Matthew, written by Matthew, and uh, in a book called Matthew. So it's pretty, pretty deep stuff, you know, um, it's actually the first book in your New Testament, not the first written, though. Uh, it's not even the first of the biographies of Jesus, right? You got four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark was probably the first written, but Matthew is the first one in your Bible. Um, and something you need to know about Matthew is he would not have seen himself as a good candidate for the way. Like, he would have not looked in the mirror and goes, like, this is for me. In fact, he would have felt the exact opposite, and so would have everyone else who knew Matthew. Because Matthew was a tax collector, And if you didn't know really the big deal about that, so Matthew was a Jew. He was Jewish living in Judea, but he's working for Rome. He's he's working for the very people who are oppressing his own people. He's lining his pockets. Here's how this would work. Rome would say, hey, you need to collect this amount of money to stay in good standing with me, Matthew. And Matthew would say, okay, I'll charge this so that I can get Rome their money and I can keep the difference. Right? They were extortionists. That's, that's what tax collectors did. And they were hated by everybody. In fact, they were so hated, the Bible always talks in this, this manner. They say, you know, there were tax collectors and there were sinners. <laughs> like they had their own special cat. Like over here is like, well, you know, uncle's kind of drunk and there's prostitutes and thieves and liars and just really bad people. You know, those are the sinners And then there's the tax collectors. (laughs) That's how bad they were. They had their own category, right? Matthew's one of those. So everybody knows how bad he is, including Matthew. Okay, understand that Matthew is fully aware of his own wickedness, if you want to put it that way. And then here comes Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's Booth, Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, Matthew isn't the first guy Jesus has interacted with and called to follow. There's already been a few others. Peter, James and John, Andrew. But you can imagine what they're thinking watching this. Right? Peter's like, Matthew? Jesus, can we, let's go around the block and find a better guy. I don't think this is the guy you want on your team. Right, James and John, they're like, we, let, we left a legitimate fishing business. Like if my dad finds out we're hanging out with guys like Matthew, that we, we left the family business to follow you, and Matthew is a part of this thing, he's going to whip us, right? Like he, he is never going to let us back in the house. But Jesus gives Matthew the same invitation he gave them. He, he just says, follow me it Uh, okay Jesus sure like you can invite Matthew to follow, but like you're gonna give him the rules up front right like you're gonna you're gonna make sure he knows all the wrong things that he's done and how he can repent of those and how he can fix those things and like all the ways that he can undo the shame that he's brought on himself and that he's brought on his family and dishonored them and like like you're gonna help him get his act together so that he can be one of us and follow you right Jesus nope Follow me. That's it. Now, the list of things that in Matthew's life that needed fixing was long. Right? So Jesus could have. He, he could have said, you need to tell this person you're sorry. You need to give your money back to this person. You need to stop doing this. And Jesus would have been 100% right because he's Jesus. He could have done that, right? But he didn't. He just said, Matthew, will you do the one thing? that I know you're capable of doing in this moment in your life. Will you do me a favor? Will you step back from the tax collector's booth and come follow me? That's it. And Jesus, Jesus was compelling enough. It says, Matthew got up, pushed away from the table, and followed. Now things get even more hairy. As if as if the disciples weren't incredulous already. If you look at the next verse, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So now they're at Matthew's house. It's like, wait, who's following who here? You said follow me and then you follow Matthew home. Right? You They're having a dinner party at Matthew's house, and who's there? Like, who does Matthew invite over to the dinner party? The same people you would invite, the people who like you enough to show up, right? Other tax collectors, other sinners. And they're having a dinner party with Jesus, and the disciples are there. This is not a a polished religious crowd, right? And Jesus' disciples are eating with them. To have dinner with someone in the first century basically meant to say, uh, I'm friends with this person. It was more than just like, they were hungry. It was like, I'm associating myself socially with this crowd. These are my people. And this this is the wildest thing. Because when you read the Bible, like if if you're not familiar with the Bible, I would like read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the things you're going to understand and see is that the people very unlike Jesus, liked Jesus. And the people who should have been more like Jesus, rejected Jesus. It's, it's strange. It makes no sense. Now, if you keep reading the story, so verse 10, they go and they have dinner. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, those are the religious people. These are the, these are the people that are more, you know, the type of people you would think Jesus would want to hang out with. They're the teachers of the religious law. When the Pharisees saw this dinner party, they asked the disciples, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's how I imagine they said it. I don't know. Dun, 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 right? (laughs) Sinners. They're like, okay, if Jesus is from God, he should want to hang out with us because we're the holy people. We know the law. Sometimes we even follow it. I think they have a hunch, though, that they're wrong, right? Because who do they ask? They got a problem with Jesus. Do they ask Jesus? They don't ask Jesus, do they? See, I think they know, like, uh-oh, this, is, this could get bad for us, right? Have you ever had someone that's, like, mad at you, you did something wrong, or you've offended them, and so, but instead of coming to talk to you about it, they talk to everybody else around you about it? It's called triangulation. It's a disease. It's terrible. It's really unhealthy. It won't actually fix any of your problems and will just cause drama and unnecessary gossip. Don't do it. Matthew 18 tells us not to do it. Which is funny because they're the religious leaders, right? Like, they're the ones who should, like, know what to do and not do. And, have, and they're, they're triangulating. Like, they're gossiping. They're, instead of talking to Jesus, who they have the problem with, they're like, hey, disciples. Jesus hears them. I love this. Like, did you think, you think the Son of God... Can't hear you if you whisper quiet enough? Or like, how did you think that was gonna go for you? Like, I don't know, if Je- I don't know what happened, but Jesus hears them because he's Jesus, right? He says, on hearing this, verse 12, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I love that. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice for i have not come to call the righteous but sinners in other words jesus says what what you don't understand pharisees is i'm i'm here for the people who are honest about their condition i'm i'm here for the people who can look themselves in the mirror and say man i'm broken i'm addicted i'm exhausted I messed up, I'm lonely, I'm I'm hurting, I've tried everything, normal isn't working for me and I need help, I need something. That's who I'm here for, not for the people who think they've got it all together. Because broken people are the people who will actually say yes to my invitation because they know they need me. Someone like Matthew, And these friends that you despise. And in there, if you notice, he says, but go and learn what this means. And he he quotes Hosea 6.6. He quotes a prophet from the Old Testament about having mercy and not sacrifice. Now, remember, the Pharisees fancy themselves as the smartest guys in the room. So this is like a Jesus burn, right? Go and learn something. Go and learn what this Bible verse says that you think you know so well. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, I'm here for redemption, not rituals. I'm here to rescue people, not play religion. Maybe if you understood that, you wouldn't see these people the way I do. The first step of the way is to follow. And the same invitation Jesus gave to Matthew, he gives to everybody. He gives it to me. He gives it to every single one of us watching online in the room. Like the first step of the way is to simply take a step closer to Jesus, to accept his invitation, to follow him. And, and he doesn't require you to figure everything out and to get everything in your life sorted and perfect. And before you say yes to that, he's like, well, we'll deal with that. Like, why don't just come on with me for a minute. Let, let's just go. In fact, maybe you're here today in this room. Maybe you're, you're watching online and you say, well, I, that sounds great. But, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm really the kind of person Jesus would invite. I don't know the Bible. I didn't grow up in church. I'm not very religious. I wasn't sure what I was even supposed to wear today. Like, I've got all this baggage and hurt and mistakes I'm dragging behind me through life. I, man, I am telling you, Jesus not only loves you, but he actually likes you. Like, if Jesus was here today, he wouldn't take me to lunch. He'd be like, man, those pastors think they know everything. I don't want to hang out with that guy. I want to find the person in this room that's just barely making it. I want to go to Newfelds with them. I had a conversation with someone a couple weeks ago who was interested in baptism. You know, we, we baptized some people down at the park uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a gal that signed up, but she just wanted information. She was very clear about that. I'm just signing up to get information, Like, well, did you think we just drown you right off the bat? Like, just, you know, she's very nervous about it. And so uh, I I called her and I just said, you know, how are you doing? What's your story? And she said, well, I just, I'm not sure I fit the Christian mold. That's what she said. said, Well, tell me about this mold. Like, what do you think it means to be a Christian? And she said, well, I'm just, uh, I'm really weird. Okay. Tell me why. What makes you weird? She said, well, I'm I'm really into holistic medicine. I said, I I just laughed. She said, why why are you laughing? And I was like, well, you live in Oregon. So like, of course you're weird. And half of my church is probably taking the same stuff you are. Like, what does that have to do with Jesus? And I just, like, this is the thing we do all the time. It's like, Well, I got to think this, I got to think that, I got to vote this way, and I got to wear this. And I'm like, Jesus doesn't care about any of that stuff. Like, what does that have to do? Like, and so I I told her, I said, here, I'll tell you what. I said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? She said, yes. I believe, do you you believe that he rose from the dead? She said, yeah. I said, do you want to be his follower? She said, yeah. I said, i tell you what, come down to the park, at 10 o'clock this Sunday, I will hold you down a little longer in that natural water, right? And we'll, we'll just get that weirdness all out of you, right? <laughs> like the, the way is for everybody. It's not for a select special group of people. In fact, the more you follow Jesus, the more you'll find yourself trusting him. And the more, the more you trust him, the more you'll do what he says. And the more you do what he says the more you'll be like him. And you'll actually discover the person he's created you to be your entire life. But you don't start there, right? Sometimes we try to start people there. Like, this is who you should be. You should do this with your life. This is how you should act. This is how you should, and it's like, they're not even there. Like, they need to meet Jesus and let Jesus do that for them. And so, if you've never made that decision, if you're watching online, you're there, I just want to encourage you, like today, before you leave, you can just say, I want to follow Jesus. I'm not even going to make you fill out a card or tell me your name or pray. Like, I'd love to pray with you if that's where you're at. I would love to help you in that pursuit. But you can just decide right now. and You say, I want to follow Jesus. And I'll just tell you, it is the most satisfying pursuit of your life. Like, you can pursue money and fame and pleasure and love and all of those things and end up lost. But you'll never end up lost following Jesus because he's never lost. He is the way. For those of us who have been around following for a while, and then as I look around, I'd say that's a lot of us in this room. Like we've been on this Christian thing for a long time. The question is, is, are you still following? Active verb. Like, is it a pursuit because every day you wake up is an opportunity to say, I'm going to get one step closer to Jesus. I'm going to do the one thing he's asking me to do. Or I'm, I'm going to learn one new thing about him. Like following the way is, is an active thing. It's not like, well, I raised my hand at youth camp when I was 13 and so I'm in. I've even baptized, I got the t-shirt. Like that, that's, that's great. But following is an active pursuit of Jesus. It is a way. Because I noticed something weird that happens. Maybe you noticed this too, but somewhere along the way, we, we tend to go from following to evaluating, particularly other people. And I, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but we're always harder on other people than we are ourselves. Like, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Well, if they knew what I really meant by that, they wouldn't be that upset. Somebody else wrongs us, like, they are the worst. Right? We give ourselves way more leeway than we give other people. And we stop worrying about whether we're close to Jesus and start worrying about whether everybody else around us is. In fact, I love the way Andy Stanley puts it. He says, the more conscious I am of the work God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am about what he has yet to do in you. the more conscious I am of the work that God has yet to do in me, the the more growth I'm aware I'm in need of, then the less critical I am about what he's not doing in you or what he's yet to do in you. I don't have the time or the energy to judge you because I'm I'm too busy following the way. So what's your next step? What's the one thing you can do this week to draw closer to Jesus? And maybe for some of us, again, it's just to put your trust there and say, I want to follow him. But for those of us who are, maybe it's like, there's something God's calling me to do and in, until I take that step, I'm, I'm, I'm not really trusting him. Like I'm just not following him the way I should. Right? The invitation is the same to all of us every day. Come, follow me. This is the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that you didn't wait until I had all my stuff together to pursue me. Because I would still be waiting for an invitation. Because there's still areas of my life that aren't the way you want them to be. And I still make mistakes and I still have sin in my life that I need to get right and repent of. And the only way that happens is if I take my eyes off of everybody else and I keep them on you and I just continue to walk and I continue to pursue I just pray that for all of us who have been followers of you for a long time, that there just be a sense this morning that you are just kind of calling us to actively pursue you in a more heartfelt way. That we would just think about what's the one step we can take this week to pursue you and to follow you. God, for those that are in the room or or, or watching online, you say, you know, I've never really planted my flag. Like, I've never really said, yeah, I... I want to follow Jesus. Like, I know I need something. I, I know I'm broken. I know I'm messed up. And I don't. I lack purpose and identity. And, what, and I think Jesus might be able to give that to me. I want to follow Jesus. God, I pray that you just give them the courage to say that to you today. They don't need to say it to me. They don't need to say it to anybody. They need to tell you, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. And then once we follow, God, we, it's just a journey. It's, it's an every day we wake up and we go, man, who is God today? And, and what is he calling me to do? And how do I, how do I live for him? And we don't want to just wear the label. We want to walk the way. Help us to do that, we pray in your name. Amen. So this is followed. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about believe. And the week after that, we're going to talk about obey. Those are the three movements of the way. It's follow, believe, and obey. So for those of you who are like, well, yeah, but don't you have to do that? Don't you still need to believe this? We'll get there, okay? But the first step is follow. And I hope you'll come back. I really hope you'll come back the next two weeks. Bring somebody with you. I feel like this is a series where um, anybody could kind of tap in and and understand the Bible better and, and what it means to follow Jesus. So bring somebody with you. so glad that you're here today. Go ahead and take a seat for just a second. A few more thoughts I want to just share with you and then we'll wrap up, but there's a few of you here that I, that I haven't seen in a year and a half and I just want you to know I love you. <laughs> I'm just so glad you're here. Like, I've missed you and I hope you've missed being here. I, I hope it feels like home to you again and um, I'm anticipating seeing more and more of that, you know, as we move forward and it's just, it's just good. It's just good to be back together. I um, know things are hard. I, I keep I keep talking about how things are hard and uh, my final thought I want to just share with you is like, we're not the first generation to go through hard things. And I know I know we know that, but sometimes a little history lesson gives us perspective and maybe just helps us know even how we got here. Um, in fact, David Brooks, he's written an article where he talks about how about every 60 years, if you look at American history, about every 60 years, our culture goes through what he calls a convulsion, uh, where it just <laughs> convulsions. It sounds like our culture throws up, you know, it's just, <laughs> every 60 years or so. Okay, and he traces this back from the 1700s till today but the last major convulsion he would say was the 1960s so that's about 60 years ago wasn't it so here we are today in another one but if you think with me back to the 60s I wasn't there I'm just going to throw that out there just to remind you but think about 1968 for a minute with me how many of you were there how many of you were there in 1968 you don't want to raise your hand come on that's fine 1968, bloodiest year of the Vietnam War. You had protests happening all over the country. Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. were assassinated in the same year. The civil rights movement was exploding, and you had protests about racial injustice happening as well. In fact, there was the Olympics that year as well, and there were people who raised their fists on the podium. You remember the, the black men doing this on the podium? North Korea, I didn't know about this. 1968, North Korea captured an American ship. Took 82 Americans as prisoners of war. Oh, and in 1968, there was a flu pandemic. That started, want to guess where? In China. I'm not making this up. Killed a million people around the world. So, I just bring all this up because it's hard and and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm sad and all of that's before noon most days, okay? But you know what? My parents and my grandparents still love Jesus. And this church is still here. This church has been here for 80 plus years. Like they had a faith that lasted and that's why we're here today. And now that's why we have the baton. And so it's our turn to run our leg of the race. And 1968 was also the year that a man named Chuck Smith gathered a group of people in a Bible study in his home. You guys familiar with Chuck Smith? Some of you are. He gathered with his wife, a few people, started a Bible study, same year, 1968. That became what's known as the Calvary Chapel Movement. Now there's thousands of Calvary Chapel churches around the world, hundreds of thousands of people following Jesus because of the ministry of Calvary Chapel. Started right in the middle of all that stuff. And so I sit here and I'm just going like, what's what's the movement that God's gonna birth out of this moment right now? And what if it started right here? What if it started with Mountain View? It could happen. I believe it could happen. But only if we like, we take the baton and we build a faith that lasts. Because I wanna hand off something to my kids and my grandkids. Like I wanna get this thing across the finish line. I have to build an endemic faith. I have to build a faith that's just such, so ingrained it's a part of me that nothing can eradicate it. Not even hardships. Not even a pandemic. Nothing. Do you want that? Do you believe that could happen? Father God, we just come to you today. We thank you for the baton. We thank you that the generations before us believed even though they didn't see. And we live after Jesus. Like we, we've more than, than they ever did. We have all the reason to believe. And now it's our turn. God, I just pray, that would you would you encourage us? Would you help us to encourage one another? Would we run the race well? For some of us, this is a choice moment. Like, we're, we're either hot or cold. And, and this is it. Like, this is the moment we need to decide. Are we in or not? Some of us might be, might be saying, you know, I, I've been filtering so many things these last 18 months through everything except the word of God. And, and today I'm gonna to commit to coming back to that as the primary filter of my life because it endures forever. And if I want my faith to endure forever, I've gotta filter it through something else that will endure. And then for others of us, God, maybe it's just that reconnection that needs to happen. It's we've, we've gotten out of community. We've gotten disconnected from the body of Christ. Again, it's not about attendance, God. It's just about, a, it's about participating in what you're doing. It's about being a part of the family of faith. Help us to reestablish that habit. Help us to, make, maybe it's to jump in a group this fall or whatever it is, God, to, to, to know people better, to open up, to share, to encourage and equip each other. But I believe, God, I believe that you're doing a new thing and, and I see evidence of it all around and I don't know what it means. I don't know what the calvary movement of this crisis mode looks like, but I'm willing to be a part of it. And I pray that you'd use our church to fuel it. And we pray this in Jesus' name have a great week. Uh, If you want to be in a group, those signups are going to be happening uh, starting on September 19th when we go back to three services. But we need a lot more people willing to just go, you know what? I'll be a bridge builder. I'll be a relational connector. I'm going to help people establish that. So if you want to know more about hosting a group, talk to Betsy. Um, We're going to have that meeting. Like I said, if you're already signed up to lead a group, you're also welcome to join us on that day. Um, But we're going to make that a, a huge priority this fall in the life of our church. So talk to Betsy. Have a great week, guys.